How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again. I'm going to pick up where we left off in our walkthrough of 2 Timothy. So if you please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as we go through this, again, we're going to be using the three points of the Christian faith the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, and demonstration. This is the what, the how, and the why of Scripture, what it says, how it's being said, and why we should apply it to ourselves for our own learning. Also looking at, uh, at the difference between reading and studying the Bible. A lot of people read the Bible, but they don't actually study it. You can read something and still be kind of ignorant about it. You don't really know that much about it. You're familiar with the uh, with the stories with the context but you don't actually know much about the details and this is why it's so important to not just read your bible but study it so we see interpretation is the what the what of the narrative what it's specifically saying and then we back up go again through it slowly taking a look at how it's being said the specific words and the pictures and the images as well as the cross referencing now how can i pair what i'm reading with other aspects aspects of the word of god doing the word studies and all these things very important and again for the final purpose to be able to speak of it to work it to show it competently so very important to learn how to study your Bibles. Be like the Bereans who are more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we're going to try to do that. So we use the Berean method here. And again, folks, as we go through our study today, if you've got any comments, questions, issues, insights, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. Uh, if it's not related to the topic at hand, though, if you just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, as we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing as much as we can. Oh, and yes, as purely reminded me, this is American Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to our neighbors uh, uh, down in the States. Uh, they're, ha they're having a belated Thanksgiving. We already had ours, so... <laughs> <laughs> so don't eat too much turkey all right so with that we're gonna pick up here where we left off in second timothy chapter three and uh again as we go through here we see the important uh reminders from the apostle paul to timothy uh going over the basics of the faith again and uh if we actually back up a little bit into chapter two is where we're actually going to start going to springboard here off of verse 24 of 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24 I'm going to read right into chapter 3 Alrighty. so grab your tea grab your coffee grab your bibles notepads and pens come join us at the table as it's time to study the word of God okay 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24 and the servant of the lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves if god peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth now we went over this uh, before as we went down through so we see a reiterating again 
about the character of the saints, the character of Christ-likeness that we should seek to emulate. That uh, we're not trying to win the argument, we're trying to win the soul. We're not trying to win the argument, we're trying to win the soul. So we got to remember this. So that's why it says in verse 25, in meekness instructing. This is power and strength in restraint. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. They're opposing themselves in their opposition, in their antagonism, in their ag aggressiveness and all this, and fighting against the faith. They're opposing themselves. They're making... If the whole world was to unite as one against the Lord, they're, they're not going to make one single bit of advantage. It'll come to nothing. They're opposing themselves. They're condemning themselves. They're damning themselves. They're harming themselves. And what we seek to do is, is gently to show them, to, to remind them. So in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance and acknowledging of the truth, because... If they would soften their hearts for a moment and take a look at this, at what's going on, the Lord would be able to show them. But if they're in a continual state of hardened heartedness, they won't be able to see anything. So in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance, the acknowledging of the truth, so that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. As we see, that... Uh, the, the small g, God of this world, has blinded the minds of them, lest they should believe the light of the glorious gospel. So they are in a, a state of delusion and deception. They are blinded by the enemy. And as 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things that be of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Now in their sinful state, they are incapable of understanding what's going on. It takes the Spirit of God to understand the Word of God, understand the faith. So they are in a snare of the devil, as he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and who are taken captive by him the devil at his will they belong to the devil he does with them as he wants they are not children of god not everybody is a child of god only those that believe on the lord god jesus christ by grace through faith i believe alone are children of god not everyone who says they love god love jesus read the bible and do all the and go to go to church do all the religiosity they're not children of God. Only those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the word of God are children of God. Right? Right? Okay. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. That there are many snares. And snares can come by way of temptations and trials and tribulations. But also false doctrines, false beliefs, false Christs, false religions. All this stuff. All of these things that are in opposition to the word of God are snares of the devil. Regardless what they look like, regardless how small it is, it's a snare to grab your mind, grab your focus, to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's what the devil seeks to do. Now, let's see if I can remember this accurately. I saw a really interesting explanation of, uh, of regarding the devil and uh, what he does. Now, if we go back to Genesis and we take a look at when uh, when God rebuked and judged the, uh, the devil, judged Lucifer, that serpent, that dragon, the father of lies. 
and using the, the language, the, that serpent, because that's how he works his way in and, the, and all subtleties and all this. It wasn't a talking snake, okay? It wasn't a talking snake. It's one of the names of the devil. As we look in Revelation, it's called that serpent, that dragon, the father of lies, and one, one other thing, which I'll get to in a moment. Now, we see that when God cast uh, Satan down, cast Lucifer down, and he became the Satan, the, uh, the opposition, the enemy, the Satan, the, the, that devil, that father of lies. It says that, uh, that God says that upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat. And dust shalt thou eat. Right? It's interesting. Now, dust shalt thou eat. Now, we take a look at us, mankind. We were made in the image of God, but how did he make us? From the dust of the ground. From the dust of the ground. He formed us from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into us the breath of life and created a living soul. And what does it say about the devil? He goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Dust shalt thou eat, seeking whom he may devour. That in our sinful, fallen state, in the natural state of, of sin, unsaved, enemies of God, children of the devil, we are eaten, devoured by that serpent, by that roaring lion, by that dragon really interesting outlook i've never thought of it that way before and i forget who it was that showed me that so it's not my it's not wasn't my uh insight so i can't claim it as mine but it's just really interesting how they put that together um uh, how we're made from the dust of the ground and upon their belly shall they go dust shall they eat and as a roaring lion seeking who may devour this how this all flows in really interesting picture but as we see this, uh, recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. He goes about as a roaring lion and snaring and devouring at will. All those that are his in their natural, fallen, sinful, unsaved state. And the Lord delivers us. He saves us from the maw of Satan. He saves us from the roaring lion, from that dragon, from that serpent. And we seek to recover them. We seek to show them, to enlighten them, to reveal to them the truth. Now this all flows down into chapter 3. As you see that uh, in verse 26 of chapter 2, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And people will say, well, but it's always been like this. We've always had the oppositions and other beliefs and the, the corrupted governments and rulers and kings and wars, rumors of wars and pestilences. These things have always happened. It's always been like this. Well, true, there have been all of these kinds of things, but we also take a couple other things into consideration. That yes, there have been wars, rumors of wars and pestilences and all this stuff that's going on, but... On a unified scale worldwide globally we've never seen this where it, where all the governments everybody are all in one heart one mind in opposition to the Lord of the wars rumors of wars pestilences plagues famines all these things occurring at the same time just like the Bible says all at the same time in a worldwide state 
but also the perilous times as we see as uh, the Lord refers to this which we'll be taking a look at in a little bit back in Matthew 24 about in the end of days the kinds of things that will happen perilous times shall come but not just in means of physicality that yes perils of a physical nature will occur but the perils spiritually as we see in second thessalonians chapter 2 talking about the great falling away perilous of the faith perils of the faith as you see many will fall away from it will abandon their first love will give up the faith will grow tired of the faith will corrupt the faith wolves wolves goats and rats will come in and destroy and wreak havoc all of these things will occur as you see in romans 1 as well as people being antagonistic of the faith suppressing the truth in unrighteousness socially we see politically globally on, a, on such a scale casting god out of everything education medical and science and and uh, government uh, casting god out not just casting him out but stomping him down in the gutter see it's it's not enough for the unsaved just to ignore god they want to destroy him humiliate him and ruin him they mock him left right and center like one example is uh can you show me anywhere in the world where they use any other deity name as a cuss word where they use any other deity name as a cuss word because as you'll see they only use the mention of god jesus as cuss words no other deity name is ever used as a cuss word why is that perilous times shall come we see for men shall be lovers of their own selves lovers of their own selves now bear with me but it's not wrong to take a picture of yourself take a selfie kind of thing put it up say you got some new clothes or a new hat new hairdo or whatever else and you're you're all excited about it you take a picture and you show it okay that's that's fine whatever but this goes beyond we see, for example, with the, the way that society is, they're drunk with themselves. They're absolutely drunk with themselves. Obsessed lovers of their own. They only care about themselves to such a degree they couldn't care less about you or what happens to you. They would never stoop to help someone else. Just the, the so self-conceited, self-righteous, self-centered, selfish individuals lovers of their own selves covetous boasters proud they're absolutely taken with pride blasphemers disobedient to parents <laughs> look, look at the education system look at how it's going kids have absolutely no respect for their parents anymore none which is interesting which is a high high warning from god children obey your parents in the lord for this is right people always quote that but they never finish it that thou mayest live long upon the earth 
one of the only uh, orders by God that actually comes with a great warning of condemnation of shortening of life or or actually God taking your life if you are rebellious and disobedient and hateful of your parents. Just something to consider. Disobedient to parents, unthankful. Look at our society today. People say, well, well, we've always had perils and wars and stuff. Okay, take all of the that. Now put it on this. When have we ever seen it like this? Go back even 30 years ago. There is a higher level of societal respect. People would respect each other more and more. There was a, actually a respect even of religion in of itself 30 years ago. Not anymore. Unthankful. Unholy. Look at the look at the education system. Look at the entertainment system. Godlessness and devil worship just rampant, rampant all through society in every aspect. Yeah, it, it, it blows my mind too. My wife and I will sit down and God forgive me. We turn on the television or we go to watch a show, and we're getting into it, and all of a sudden the people in in the show, the, the TV show or whatever else, start swearing, and I always take note. They beep out the cuss words, the F words, and these kinds of things, but they never beep out blasphemy. Do you ever note that? They'll, 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 they'll mute or beep out vulgarities, but they'll never beep out when they use the name of Jesus or mention of God in blasphemy for vulgarities. unholy without natural affection now this is an interesting one without natural affection you know what that means now some people say well well that means you know like homosexuality or something no it actually doesn't without natural affection unsociable unsociable So we see here a, peru, uh, a presumed derivative means to cherish affectionately hard-hearted towards kindred hard-hearted towards kindred and others in society they're about to cherish affectionately but don't they don't cherish they are not affectionate there's no love of strangers no love of brethren that, that there's that they're so antisocial they're so antagonistic they are so self-conceited self-righteous self-centered they don't care about family they don't care about others in society them first they're the god of their reality and they couldn't care less about it they'll stomp on the throats of everyone else that's that's what society is today and we've never seen it on such a massive grand scale at any other time down through history no respect no love no care there's no affection without natural affection truce breakers everyone's just a rampant liar everyone's a liar everyone's a thief everyone's a criminal at heart they couldn't care less they'll rob you blind they'll lie 
up up and down bold face no problem with lying truce breakers false accusers they'll make up uh, fabrications about you to slander you and they don't even care incontinent fierce despisers of those that are good traitors heady high-minded lovers of pleasures more than lovers of god wow wow this was written two thousand years ago two thousand years ago the apostle paul wrote this about the end of days would you agree that this is rather prophetic it almost makes you wonder if if the lord just kind of opened a window of time there and paul's looking through and he's looking into our day and age and god was just flipping through everything and showing paul what the end of days is going to be like and paul saw our society and governments and everything else and paul's like oh my goodness this is what's going on yeah it almost makes me wonder but doesn't this to a t describe our society today we've never and if we are actually honest we have never seen it like this on a universal scale like it is today we've never seen this down through society ever ever there's always been mutual respect understanding help and and uh, societal workings together and all this there's always been a form a level of 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 this all down through except for the last what would you say i don't know 20 years within the last 20 years maybe not even that maybe a bit more the last 12 years we've seen everything just go completely off the rails completely off the rails traitors i'll just leave that one there you know exactly what i'm talking about heady high-minded you know the high intellectualism but of a self-conceited selfish self-centered type of of high intellectualism you know like richard dawkins lovers of pleasures more than lovers of god well there's one to think about lovers of pleasures more than lovers of god yeah people care more about their feelings they care more about their entertainment they care more about about the about the present moment's satiation than any thought of god in any way shape or form they that they all they care about is their feelings being satiated but not but not just the unsaved here folks you see this is a common misunderstanding people say well this is what the world is going to be like in the end of days true but you're missing something let's back up for men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy without natural affection truce breakers false accusers incontinent fierce despisers of those that are good traitors heady high-minded lovers of pleasures more than lovers of god having a form of godliness but but denying the power thereof 
This is also bringing into context professed Christians. Do any of these sound familiar to much of professed Christianity today? Well, professed Christians aren't blasphemers. Oh, really? Oh, really? You you really want to play that, that card? Really? Aren't blasphemers? What is blasphemy? Let's take a look here. Now, if we take a look at, so we'll go to verse 2, blasphemers, speaking evil, slanderous, reproachful, railing, or abusive against God. One more, speaking evil, or slanderous, i.e. sacrilegious, reproachful, making a mockery of, or railing, accusing, and being abusive against God. Really, you don't think so-called professed Christians today are blasphemous against God? Many are. The way they talk, the way they treat him, the way they talk about him, the way they drag him into stupid mock nine mocking memes being sacrilegious you know sacrilege is a term and a teaching that i think has lost all power and meaning for for our day and age much of christianity much of the church could do well by doing a study on the term sacrilege and seeing what is sacrilegious dragging god into frivolity stupidity kidifying him dragging him to watering him down changing making him just just cheap laugh entertainment to making him a joke making jokes about him that's sacrilegious people say oh now you're being now you're being legalistic no i'm being biblical here Try it. Go go back in time, two thousand years ago, and take all of your jokes and memes and watering down and cheapening of Christ, and go show it to Jesus personally and see if he appreciates it. God Almighty, in the flesh. So you think he'd appreciate that? What he's trying to do, and you're just cheapening it, dragging into a cheap laugh. Or not just that, watering it down so it's, it loses all seriousness. It loses all holiness. For just cheap entertainment. That's blasphemous, sacrilegious, and heretical. And much of today's Christians do that. And they have no problem with that. When you try to point it out, they, they just laugh you to scorn. Call you every name because they want to protect their sacrilegious entertainment. And blasphemous. You know, how I've lost count how many times I have heard professed Christians use the name of God as a cheap expletive. Now, they may not use the name of Jesus Christ as a as verbal vulgarities and blasphemy, but 
OMGs, where they, where they use the term, oh my God, as a cheap expletive. That's blasphemy. That's a cheap, irreverent misuse, flippant, irreverent misuse mention of God for personal expletive. That's, a, that's sacrilegious, blasphemous, and heretical. Now, blasphemy in the Old Testament had the punishment, uh, capital, capital punishment, to discipline that. If you blasphemed God, you were stoned to death in the Old Testament. That's how serious they took it. I'm, I'm just saying. That's how serious they took it in the Old Testament. God actually instructed that. And Christians today who profess that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord God and Savior from the condemnation of their sins, take the same Savior that they say they believe in and use his name, the mention of who he is, as a cheap expletive. They take the Almighty Savior, Redeemer, King, Almighty God, and drag him down into cheap, frivolous, stupid entertainment. Where, where, where is, where is holiness? Where is true, sincere, zealous holiness today? Where is it? Men have become more, uh, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Traitors. You know, it's treason to the Most High to confess Him and believe on Him, to say you love Him and serve Him, and then dance with the devil for your entertainment. To refuse to witness to the lost. To have more fear of man than fear of God. Or that, that you would water down conviction, water down the word, water down the truth, water down the word of God, just so the unsaved won't get offended. You are That's, that's treason. You're a priest of the Most High God, and you're corrupting the sacrifices. You're defiling the temple. He who defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. You know that's New Testament. What? No, you're not. You are the temple of God which is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Full of pride. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. So many Christians today are just bellyaching, whining complainers. Bellyache about everything, complain about everything, whine about everything, fear about everything. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. See that. Truce breakers. False accusers. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness. Now, what would that look like? Having a form of. Where on the outward, you look good, you dress good, you look the part, you talk the part, you, you seem, seem to be the part all on in observation having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. But there, 
there's no actual power of God with them, that God is not actually in them. God is not actually working with them. These are the religious Pharisees, the legalistic religious Pharisees, where it's all about the outward controlling the outward and there's no Christ likeness on the inward. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, just a moment. Now, if you're taking a look at your Bible, if you're following along with your Bible, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 is the list of all the things that he says here to turn away from. That those that are showing, demonstrating these kinds of characteristics from verses 1 to 5, you're to have nothing to do with them. Consider that. How many times in the Bible does it talk about marking them avoiding them having nothing to do with them walking away brushing off the dust of your feet at uh to not even invite them in your home to to separate yourself from how many times do you see this N numerous times in the bible having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away why because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump Evil communications are corrupt good manners. Health is not infectious. Illness and disease is. These things are illnesses and diseases of a spiritual of a spiritual nature that will corrupt you, will drag you in, will, will defile you, and will it will pass on to you you'll pick up these these natural characteristics of the sin nature and, and you will start to illustrate them yourself you need to protect yourself from this have nothing to do with this like in the in the bible times where an individual who had leprosy if they had leprosy they were put out of society so it would stop the spread and they would have their leper camps and everything else and they would bandage up and everything but if they saw other people coming their way they would call out call out unclean unclean so the so the healthy people could do a, a wide berth around them and stay away from them we see these characteristics we cry unclean unclean to the most high god and we have nothing to do with it we take wide berth around it have nothing to do with it i'm not going to be defiled by this but we see that in our day and age in in the church there's very little church discipline very little church discipline very little corporate discipline uh, where we that we as saints band together to protect each other to guard each other rebuke to educate to exhort to edify each other we just leave each other alone and let each other fall into whatever and we don't speak up because well they might get offended they might get upset they might not like this and we we fear their reaction because well if i say anything they might stop coming to the church and we got to protect our numbers of church because so we care more about numbers we care more about our money we care more about about our, our notoriety than we do about each other's spiritual well-being tell me i'm wrong look at this perilous times shall come would you say that we are in this in this period in this time we are in the perilous days would you would you say that we are 
going in the comments here uh, purely says that was a harsh lesson the lord dealt with me on my beginning days street ministry you're there for them not to win the argument yep we're there to win the soul not the argument stick with giving the word and let god convict and draw them amen amen um yeah and for example as uh, we're talking about uh, sacri- sacrilegious type language and uh, and blasphemy uh sunny day says yes it's so it's so difficult to hear all the jc exclamations all the time right the cheapening cheapening of the name of jesus christ just making it uh, it just i swear that the people that are like that that short change god of his holiness and seriousness and his power and, and of his truth yes he's he's one the six closer than a brother yes he's true and he's our father yes we're saved and all of this but don't let the grace and love of god cause you to cheapen the seriousness of him because if you cheapen the name of God and the person of God, I dare say you don't understand him. You don't actually understand the God of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, Purely says, I love the Andy Griffith show. Even when trying to watch something wholesome, have to hurry and forward through the ads is not to see something disgusting and wicked, right? It's just everywhere. It's permeating everything. It's de- this whole world is defiled to such a degree like we've never seen before and it's getting into the churches it's getting into christianity and we need to be on guard we need to be mindful of these things we need to protect ourselves we really need to protect ourselves having a form of godliness now this is something we also see uh i was actually thinking about it today now for those who may be listening in on podcast and you're not actually watching the video because we take these bible studies uh, and once they're up we download the video and we strip the audio file and upload it as podcast because some people who can't actually watch the videos they can still listen into the bible study so you may be listening via podcast you may not actually see it but uh, I, I i kind of have a little bit of a beard and i was thinking about bible schools and seminaries and this is a kind of a personal beef I have with the Bible school systems is one thing I just do not understand. I don't get it. I really don't. I've had other people try to explain it to me before. I don't understand it. I still don't get their reasoning. It makes no sense. But that the vast majority of Christian Bible schools, I should say, have this weird rule for men no facial hair allowed no facial hair allowed why why i i don't know why so many of them are like this why you go all down through the bible and you see they all had beards and facial hair jesus had a beard jesus had a beard has a beard 
God even instructed the Israelites to the, the, the men to grow beards and told them how they should keep them and not to trim the edges and all this kind of thing. Like, like, but but all of a sudden, Bible school is like, no facial hair allowed at all. Well, but wouldn't it technically, just, just, just saying, wouldn't it technically be more biblical if you if you actually encouraged facial hair? I'm just, just saying. But, but, but why have the actual mandatory rule, no facial hair? I've had I've had them tell me oh it's for 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 reasons to avoid vanity and all this stuff. That makes no sense. That that that's stupid. That's just a made up legalistic rule. I I, I absolutely hate pointless, nonsensical rules. I hate them. I hate those kinds of rules that just make no sense. You're just making stuff up just for reasons of control. I, I, I hate those kinds of rules. Makes no sense. They say, well, well, it's it's to to make us also we're more more we're more uniform. That makes no sense. This is a Bible school, not a military boot camp. I would get it if it was the military. This is a Bible school. So, are you telling me Charles Spurgeon was wrong? J.C. Rao was wrong? A.W. Tozer was wrong? Are you telling me all, all the disciples and the prophets are all wrong because they had facial hair? See, see the, the form, we've we got, we got to maintain an air and a, and a presence and we got to control a form of godliness and holiness in their appearance, but lacking the power thereof. It, you're more obsessed with the outward. You're more obsessed with the outward. So, having a form of godliness, I'm not saying having facial hair makes you any closer to God or anything. No, it's just facial hair. It makes, it makes no bit of difference. But I'm talking about the, the mandatory forced controlling uh, of the outward appearance like the Pharisees did. My phylacteries are bigger than yours. I'm more clean-shaven than you. <laughs> this, this form of godliness, but lacking the power thereof. Their doctrines are weak as mouse milk. Because they're all they're cared about is the is the controlling of the appearance and and the works and the fruit and the deeds and all the uh, it's about the buildings and the stained glass and it's about the robes and the collars and the and the uh, about the hymnals and the pews and the pulpits all about the outward kind of control control control. Where's the power? The power is in the word. The power is in doctrine, not appearance. It doesn't matter what you look like, as we saw that with John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He had a beard. And sunburnt. Popper had nothing. Camel skin grasshoppers had nothing. But his the power was in his preaching, not in his presence, not not in his appearance. It was in what he said, not what he looked like. When you look at today, it's it's all inverted. So much it's inverted. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. And not just for some where they lack the power thereof, but some who even go one step further and deny the power thereof. I.e. the cessationists. I'm just going to say it. And if you get offended by that, I'm going to tell you, go read your Bible. Nowhere in the Bible 
Does it say that miracles, signs, and wonders, and powers, and these kinds of things are ended for today? That is absolutely stupid and nonsensical. That is unbiblical to preach such nonsense like that. That the miracles, signs, and wonders, and powers that are no longer effective today don't happen. Like, John MacArthur is on, on record of flat out saying just that. That signs and wonders, all that, do not happen today. We, it's, it's only a knowledge war, is what he said. I quote. These cessationists don't just lack the power, they deny it. They deny the power. So you're telling me all the missionaries in third world countries and all others who have had full-on answers to prayer and miracles in their lives that they're all delusional. It's all delusional. You're telling me that the devil has all the power today, not God? It's just stupid. Show me it, where in the Bible does it... Well, that was just for back then with the apostles. Show me where it says that. You're making that up. You're flat out making that up. Nowhere in the Bible says it. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8-10, it says there are three things that are gone, but do a study on that. Those are the oracle gifts. The oracle gifts, because we no longer have human oracles. The Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures is our oracle. We no longer have human oracles. That which is perfect has come, which is the Word of God. But all the other miracles and signs and wonders and and and, uh, and powers that be in the faith uh, by the faith through the faith and prayer by the power of the Spirit of God working still effective for today. Healings and all kinds of things are still effective for today. It has not passed away. But there are those that deny it, full on deny it. They're they're like the Sadducees of today. From such turn away. Watch out for them. Mark and avoid. Have nothing to do with them. Walk away from them. They will defile you. They'll defile your faith. They'll kill your faith by their nonsense. By their sin. We've got to protect our testimony. We've got to protect our walk with God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. And not just in that, like, like those who lack power, those who deny power, but this is also... Taking a look, for example, at the other religions, like, you, you know, for example, uh, what was it, last month or so, where I did, uh, for a little while there, I was addressing the Christian world's obsession with this mock Orthodox priest, Mar Mari Emmanuel. You know, he's not a Christian. He does not, he categorically does not believe the gospel of the word of God. I looked him up, did study. I listened to a bunch of his messages. He believes in a works-based system of salvation. He believes in purgatory. He believes in the assumption of Mary that she also intercedes for the saints, the praying to, to dead saints and all the rest of that. He's Catholic light. He's not a Christian. Sure, he says a bunch of good-sounding good things. He talks about faith and grace and Christ and the cross and salvation. He's very passionate about that. But look at the doctrines that he's preaching. He has no power of God. His God is not the God of the Bible. His Christ is not the Christ of the Bible. Many false Christs will arise. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. He's deceived by a false Christ. But there are so many professed Christians that are deceived by this guy. Because of his form of godliness. It's like so many Christians, bear with me, are deceived by C.S. Lewis. 
you realize he was not a Christian. He was a mystic Anglican who converted to Roman Catholicism before he died. Do a study on the man. So many Christians don't study the sources. They don't look into the things that, that they, they quote, that they have in their lives. C.S. Lewis, he was so corrupted, he called Jesus Christ ignorant in one of his books. He says when he was in when he was in Greece, he found it hard not to pray to all of the Christ subspecies gods like Apollo. He, he felt drawn to pray to Apollo and the other gods because they are Christ subspecies, he called them. And all kinds of other nonsense. He was not a Christian. He was a baptismal regenerationist. He believed that salvation was in water baptism. He wrote that, spoke that, and affirmed that. He was a mystic, baptismal regenerationist Anglican, obsessed with the occult, do a study, who converted to Roman Catholicism. And professed Christians en masse are quoting the man left, right, and center. Buying his books and everything else and, and upholding him like an apostle. He was a false apostle. Sure, he may have said some good things here and there, but so does the Pope, so did Gandhi, so does Buddha. That doesn't mean there's someone you should quote and listen to. They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. And then we go to verse 6. For of this sort, verses 1 to 5, those that are like this, and those have the form of godliness and deny the power of for, for of this sort are they which creep into house. They, they creep in, they get in, they sneak into, they find a gap, a way into homes and in the minds of people. And lead captive, take captive, silly women laden with sins. For example, uh, talk, uh, using this language to describe people that, that uh, just have no depth of character. No depth of understanding, ignorant of doctrine, ignorant of truth, ignorant of these things that just, they just regurgitate what they're told. And they don't actually apply it to themselves. They don't do the study, not like the Bereans, and they're taken captive like a bunch of silly women, these, these uh, goofy uh, chatterboxes that do no study, the, the empty minded. That's the language here of those kinds of types. Led away with diverse lusts. They're just driven and controlled by their flesh. Driven and controlled by their feelings. Not to be like that. You have to take everything that comes in, no matter what it is, and study it and apply it to the word of God like a Berean. Do the due diligence, a student of the word, or you will be taken captive. All because they say they love God, they say they love Jesus, and they talk about grace and faith and all this stuff, does not make them a Christian. Does not make them someone you should be listening to. You need to look at who they are, what they are, what they're about. They may be even like a, a great and notable professed Christian. But then, like, I dare say Ravi Zacharias who said he loved God, loved Jesus, and he may have very well have affirmed the gospel, but look, he, he had fallen into terrible sin. He had, he had made a havoc of his testimony. He caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme and all the rest of that. From such turn away. From such turn away. Be careful of, of these kinds of types. We're to be, uh, be mindful of who we are giving our minds to. 
will they affect us in such a way that it could damage, harm, oppose, hinder? If that's the case, have nothing to do with them. And not just that, we see in verse 7, but also those to be, to be aware of and be mindful of and to be aware, beware them, those that are obsessed with ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're obsessed with study and learning, but it's just like they're just one step away and they just, they just can't accept just what it is says they're always making excuses finding loopholes workarounds and they just can't accept the word of god says or they're obsessed with study and learning but they just can't believe in the simplicity of the faith ever learning never able to come to the knowledge of the truth like john MacArthur. ever learning but denies the power thereof it also says you could take the mark of the beast and still go to heaven and that the blood of jesus christ has no power and doesn't actually save you Yes, he said that. Go look it up. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, the sorcerers of Pharaoh, they had great power. By the power of their false gods withstood Moses. So do these, verses 1 to 5, actually verses 1 to 7. So do these also resist the truth men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifested unto all men as theirs also was as jane jambres also was there's all of these verses one to one to seven their folly will be manifested now look at this it says in verse nine but they shall proceed no further in my life, in those around me, in my church, the, these influences will not proceed upon us, will not be seen in us. I draw a line and I will investigate everything and search everything so that these influences will never ever come into my life, will never ever come into my home, into my family, into my circle of influence. But they shall proceed no further. As you see, Janus and Jambres withstood Moses up to a point, and they proceeded no further, and they were cut off. And the power of God was seen. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you, do you see, do you get what, what I'm get, getting across here? If you have any comments, questions in any of this, please feel free to ask away. I'd be glad to hear from you. We see so many professed Christians today having such a struggle where their faith for many is shipwreck they're falling apart at the seams we see so many professed christians fighting with other christians infighting and where church wars and church splits and pastors against pastors it's insane that the the, the the chaos that is in christianity today where did it come from? Where did it stem from? Well, if I, if I was a, a betting man, I would dare say that the vast majority of today's chaos within Christianity comes from people who, they, for the majority of people, 
they just aren't satisfied with this, with just the Bible. Because, for example, when you listen to many preachers online, half of their sermon is quoting catechisms, commentaries, creeds, and councils. Much of their sermon is about application instead of interpretation. Much of their message is about affirmations and more of self-help messages than it is actual doctrine by the word of God. They quote doctrine according to men's traditions. Or they water down sin, air-conditioned hell. They cheapen righteousness. Where the, the depth of zealousness and fervency of the word is lacked. It's shortened. It's cheapened. The faith is made shipwreck. We see more fighting about, about the production of fruit. Then we see preaching about the grace of Jesus Christ. We see more of an obsession on the outward appearance than we do the grace and faith of Jesus Christ. We see more about men helping men instead of Christ helping men. We see more of an obsession on societal issues and stuff rather than the edification of the church and the strengthening of the faith and the preaching of righteousness because the gospel of jesus christ is what fixes absolutely everything and it's being pushed to the back burner it's being pushed to the back burner nothing in this entire world is more important than the gospel of jesus christ and the saving of souls nothing is more important it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that fixes everything. It's what will fix Parliament. It's what will fix the White House. It's what will fix the schools. It's what will fix the education system, the medical system, the law system, everything, science. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what fixes everything. But rather we push it aside and we say, well, I think this out here. I think, I feel, I believe. Listen to the vast majority of Christians talking. When it comes to anything spiritual, anything religious, or even non not religious, how how often do you hear? I think, I feel, I believe, my interpretation. Where is God? Where is the word of God in all of this? It will be made manifest. Be sure your sin will find you out. And it will find you out in more ways than one. Look at verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came, came unto me at Antioch. In the back up verse 10. Thou hast fully known my doctrine. You know, there's a, there's a, 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 a church... so-called church that's in the city next to me and there is an individual i i knew the who who used to be a pastor of that so-called church 
and it was from him that that I had heard that in their church you're not allowed to use fancy words like propitiation like in first John chapter 2 verse 2 and he and he's the uh, uh, propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation it just means atonement. That's just literally what it means. But that's a word that's in the Bible that you're not allowed to use. Use fancy words because most people won't understand it. So you're not even allowed to use those words in the church. Especially when you're preaching. Not allowed to use fancy words because most people won't understand it. It'll make them feel uh, silly or whatever. We got to protect them. So we're just gotta, we have to simplify all words. How about, I don't know, studying the, the words, learning, educating yourself. Instead of simplifying, cheapening the word of God, cheapening what the word of God actually says, how about educate yourself? But no, we got to abandon education. Abandon education for the feelings of the people. We, we instead of using sin, instead of using the word sin, let, let's instead say the word mistakes because th that's nicer it doesn't make you feel as bad let's abandon the word sin let's let's not use the word hell let's rather use i don't know discipline instead of using judgment that, that you'll be judged by god rather that that god will just is, is sit you down and just talk to you about it let's make christianity stupid Let's make Christianity non-effective. Let's strip the eye teeth out of the faith. Let's pull the fangs out of it. Let's saw off the rough edges. Let's abandon the seriousness of the faith and cheapen it for the feelings to make people feel more comfortable while they're going to hell. I'm all worked up. But as you see, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And instead of, of Christians noticing this and standing up and saying enough is enough that this proceed no further. We're scared of them. We're scared of the offended. We're scared of the emotional. We're scared of those who are easily triggered, easily offended. And instead of standing for the faith, we put on the kid gloves and kowtow to the feelings of the offended. And that the preachers are terrified of the congregation. Because, what, because the preacher can no longer say anything without, without getting the people so upset they abandon that church, abandon the teaching to go to someone else who will tickle their ears because the time will come they can no longer abide sound doctrine. But they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they should be turned into fables. Fables. Stupid stories like Joel Osteen. I ever wonder how Joel Osteen can get such crowds like that because he says absolutely nothing that'll challenge you he says nothing nothing challenging he only says nice things he strokes your ego and your feelings and your emotions he flings open the doors of heaven so wide that any pagan can just strut right in without having to believe anything Look at verse 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. Now, what is the doctrine of the Apostle Paul? 
Now, what is doctor? There's a word that technically you wouldn't be allowed to use in some churches here. Because a lot of people don't like the word doctor. That's one of those old stuffy words. Stuffy word. We can't use the word doctrine. Doctrine just means the teachings of. That's all it means. It just means the teachings. Now, what are the teachings, the doctrines of the Apostle Paul? Where did he get them from? Who taught him? He was taught by Jesus Christ. So by opposing the words and the teachings and the things that are in the Bible, you literally are opposing God. You're literally opposing the Lord, which we'll get to. But that has fully known my doctrine, manner of life. Look at the way I live life, Paul says. How I go about life. This doesn't mean that we have to literally get rid of everything and wander the world like the Apostle Paul and all this stuff. It'd be great maybe if we did. And I'm not saying it'd be wrong, but I'm not saying you have to. But look at the, the level of Christ-likeness, conviction, determination of the Apostle Paul. Look at the things that he went through. His desires and his manner. His manner. His manners. You know, if the Apostle Paul... Just saying, if the Apostle Paul were alive today, you do know that the vast majority of churches wouldn't let him in the pulpit. Because he'd be too strict. He'd be too hard. If Jesus were walking the earth today, he wouldn't be allowed in the, in the majority of pulpits either. He'd be flipping the tables. He'd be crafting whips out of cords and driving many people out if elijah elisha and samuel and obadiah and jeremiah were alive today ezekiel were alive today moses were alive today they wouldn't be allowed in many churches a manner of life purpose what's your purpose look at this look at this one in verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, look at the word purpose. Now, I want to ask you folks, what is your purpose? What's your purpose of life? Now, be honest and sincere. Don't say what you want it to be. I want, I want you to address what it is currently right now. In all honesty, before God is your purpose, is the drive of your life, the reason you're alive is to preach the gospel and serve the Lord in fear and trembling? Is it really, is it honestly, is that how you have been living? Is that how you have been driving your purpose? Is that what your purpose has been? Faith. That is fully known, my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith that has fully known my faith level of faith the zealousness the fervency the determination the belief the level of belief how deep is your faith now you can say how deep it is but you know you know how you can tell how deep it is by how often you pray how much you pray and how much you actually trust you may say you have faith but I'll show you my faith by my works. Your faith is seen. You could say whatever you want, but it's seen. Your faith is seen. Now, how do now do other people see your faith? How do they see your faith? Or are you afraid to show your faith publicly? 
Are you uh, actually afraid to show your faith publicly? The pagan isn't afraid to show their beliefs and their determination, their mind, their their beliefs publicly. The heathen, the godless, the atheist, the debaucherous, they're not afraid to show what they believe and how they work in publicly. They couldn't care less what other people think. Only the Christians do. Only the Christians care what other people think and hide themselves. Look at the, look at the other cults. Mormons aren't afraid. Jehovah's Witnesses aren't afraid. Seventh-day Adventists, the Mennonites, the Amish, Buddhists, the Hindus, Catholics even, many Catholics. Well, how come born-again Christians are absolutely terrified to publicly demonstrate and show their faith? You won't pray in public. You won't promote and preach Christ publicly. I'm saying you as in a general sense uh, to to general Christianity as well. I'm not talking to anybody individually. I'm talking about in general. In general, we see this. Born-again Christians are absolutely afraid and ashamed and they, they self-censor themselves. They self-censor. You the, the, the very idea of handing an, a stranger a gospel tract gives you cold sweats. You have a near panic attack, anxiety attacks. Long suffering. Ooh, we don't see that one hardly today. Long suffering, patience. This person, it's just they just don't get it, don't get it, don't get it. And you're trying, you're teaching, you're showing, you're helping. And it just, it's just, it's so arduous dealing with this person. But in grace and meekness, you, you, you play the long game and you work with them. You're long suffering with them. We don't see that today. No, no. Our our level of, of attention is that of a goldfish. It has to be constant, non-stop stimulation, something new, or we lose our minds. That, that we got to rush through the services, rush through church, rush through prayer, rush through Bible teaching. We could sit for seven hours watching a stupid movie with no problem, but we can't sit for 30 minutes in church without losing our minds. Now, to the point you know, that I'm just saying, I actually take great offense. I actually find it very offensive when I see people making jokes and posts and articles joking about the, the preacher being long-winded. Like uh, making the, uh, the goofy memes and stuff, you know, when the preacher actually ends on the final point, actually ends, you know, at the time appointed and it doesn't go over, doesn't go over the time limit. They always make posts and jokes about it. I find that so offensive. All down through the word of God, we, we see them sitting and have, and desiring to sit for hours at the word of God. The reason why the church today is so weak is so pathetic is because the depth of Bible study and love of, of sitting at the feet of Jesus is gone. Gone. They would sit and gather for hours studying the Word of God, but now today they care more about their belly, they care more about the chores, they care more about the job, they care more about their entertainment than they do at, at the Word of God than they do about church. More than three quarters of the service is fellowship and singing and like maybe 20 minutes opening the Bible hardly any Bible teaching and you think that that will arm you through the week for fighting the devil. 
You look at the pagans and you look at the cults. They'll, they'll gather for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours all down through the week. And their practices and their rituals and their studies and their Bible studies and every other all the other studies. And they, they put the Christians to shame. And we ought to be ashamed. We have to have quick GIF Bible studies. Five seconds. Five-second Bible studies. These get the biggest hits, the most views, and people care more about constant stimulation. You got that in the videos. You can't just have the guy talking the Bible. There has to be all kinds of flashing lights and sound effects and, and memes and pictures. They got to keep to, to keep you involved or you'll just scroll away because there's no love of study. No love of the Word of God. The, the, the flesh controls the services. Tell me I'm wrong. I dare anyone to tell me i'm wrong on that one and to the point where we even will mock and joke all about our inability to be able to sit and study long suffering charity where in all that is holy is charity we're willing to go out of our way to take of our own substance and lives and to help the downtrodden, those in need, the poor and the needy, the homeless and all the rest, and brothers, sisters. We don't care about others. Very few. We are so, so self-centered. We are so pampered. We are so drunk with luxury and vanity we, we hardly ever think about others. That, that, the, that the, the easiest response is, I'll pray for you. But didn't Jesus talk about this? That, that, you, that you bless the Lord, but do not give them that which is needful to the body. What good is that? Where, where's the actual charity? The cults outdo us and they put us to shame. Other religions put us to shame over this patience where's patience persecutions oh my goodness the level of of the the western culture first world's idea of persecution is my feelings get hurt i can't go to church today because someone said something i don't like that's our level, our idea of persecutions. And you really think that you could stand on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal when your greatest trials and afflictions is that someone called you a name? Are, are you serious? That, that, that your Starbucks didn't have your muffin and somehow that destroyed you and ruined your day. And you think you could stand for the Lord in the end of days? Are you for real? That someone slammed the door on your face. Someone said they, did, that, that they don't want to hear it. Someone, someone uh, uh, cursed you out and you tried to witness. And you take that as, as, a, as a first century martyr's level of persecution. We are so pathetic. Christianity today is so pathetic. It is so weak. 
It is so limp-wristed, yellow-spine, weak-kneed, weak-doctrined, and we wonder why the world is making mighty advances on Christianity. We're wondering why the churches are falling apart, Christians are abandoning the faith, why the why the, the unbelievers are blaspheming God and mass, how God can be kicked out of everything, and why Christianity seems to be almost nigh non-existent in the world. When was the last time, I want you to just think about this for a moment, when was the last time you actually saw a Christian in public? Well, how would I know if they were a Christian? Exactly. That's my point. We don't stand apart. We don't stand out anymore. We blend in. We blend in. Hardly any difference. Hardly any difference. There's hardly that that the, the the level that you might do. You oh, you might put on a hat that says blessed. You might wear a cross, but so do witches. So do the New Agers, so do the pagans, so do the heathens. They wear crosses all the time. That what makes you any different than them? What makes us stand apart, stand out? Where is Jesus Christ? Everywhere he went and his apostles went, they, they, they turned everywhere upside down. By the preaching, teaching, and faith, they turned the world upside down. They had no money. They, they had no flashing lights. They had no fancy buildings. They had no big bank accounts. They had, had nothing of material, but they had the word of God, and they turned the world upside down absolutely everywhere they went. Where is that today? Where are the mighty men and women of God today? Where are the prophets today? Now, yes, I know that, don't get me wrong, I know we don't have like Old Testament prophets today, but I'm talking about the spirit of, I'm talking about the disciples of Jesus Christ, like a prophet standing up and telling the people the truth. Where is the witness? Where is the passion, the fervency, the love, the desire? Where is it? Of such a level that you could point them out of a crowd. Where are they? Those that are proud of Jesus Christ, filled with pride of Jesus Christ, the love of the Word of God, that everywhere they go, they witness and testify and show, they demonstrate some level, shape, and form that they stand out of the crowd. Where is that today? But the vast majority of Christians, they are like chameleons. That they, 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 they keep an eye on what the crowd is, what the time is, like a bunch of NPCs. You got to blend in and just regurgitate the same thing that everyone else is, so no one will know you are because because you can't make it known that you're a Christian. Hell's best kept secret is Jesus Christ. That which will cause you to escape. That which will save you from. We keep it secret. We keep it secret. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me. Uh, because look what I'm doing for the Lord, Paul says. Came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me, because the Lord worked with him. How's the Lord working with you? 
Well, he ha it, 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 that that in the moment of absolute distress, you fell on your knees and you cried unto the Lord to help you to figure out where, Lord, where did I lose the TV remote? Could you show me where I lost the TV remote? That's the level of the depth of most Christians today. Well, Lord, I need a parking spot at Walmart. Such persecutions the Lord delivered you from. That the power of heaven that was with the prophets of the Old Testament, the power of Almighty God that was upon the apostles and the early church, the power of Almighty God that was upon the martyrs in the first century. And what is it today? Candy corn Christianity. Cotton candy Christianity. It's, it's it's a circus. It's a joke. Christianity today is an absolute and utter joke. We care more about ourselves that the that we risk life and limb to get to job or get to a doctor's appointment. But if there's any bad weather or if you if you got a little bit of a tummy ache, you won't even go to church. You won't even gather with the saints. Look at Christianity today. Look at Christianity in the in the early church in the first century. How would you describe your faith? How would you describe your prayer life? How often do you actually talk with the Lord? Was well, because you don't want persecutions? You don't want tribulation? You don't want trials? Well, if you don't want those things, then you have to shut up about Jesus Christ. Because, yea, verse 12, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Because the devils, the world, the enemy, the flesh will oppose you at every turn to stop you, to hinder you, to destroy you, to, to kill your faith, to rob you of the blessing, to destroy your testimony, to shut you down so you'll stop being an influence upon your neighbor, upon your family, upon others, your co-workers in the world. Because you are a living, a living example of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why most Christians won't. Because they'd rather just be comfortable let everyone else go to hell so they can go to heaven comfortably everyone else could just go to hell so i can go to heaven comfortably you do realize that that is actually ultimately what you're saying when you refuse to live for the lord publicly you refuse to speak of the lord publicly you that is literally what you are implying you all can go to hell so i can go to heaven more comfortably I want you to think that next time you're around other people and you don't say a word about Jesus, you don't say, you don't show in any way, shape or form the faith. I want that to be in your mind that what, that, uh, what you are thinking is you all can go to hell so I can go to heaven more comfortably. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus. That is to, to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. To be ready always to give an answer. Why are they coming to ask you of the answer of the hope within you? Because there's something in your life that is drawing them. That's showing them that you're different. That you're a born again Christian. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're, you're a prophet of today that's telling them. Thus saith the Lord. Make the crooked way straight. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. 
you're showing it, you're demonstrating it. It's visible, it's tangible, it's notable in your life. Where is Jesus Christ in you? You could say where he is, show me. Because look, look. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. They will hate you because of me. Are you hated? Do they actually hate you? For good reason. And that is because of faith. Matthew 5.10, Matthew 24.9, John 16.33, Matthew 10.22. The Lord talks about this again and again and again and again. How they'll hate you, they'll oppose you, they'll want to kill you and shut you down and arrest you. In this world you'll suffer persecutions for my name's sake. If you're not being hated and persecuted, whatever else, then you're not speaking up for the Lord. Because the Bible says, God says, Jesus says, this is what will happen. Stop watering it down to try to to try to work around the persecutions, but rather why not suffer yourselves to be defrauded? If you if you're not willing to put it all, to bet it all, to pour it all in the faith, do you actually love the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you love the idea of an easy Jesus? You may be born again saved, but what what is the level of your ideology of who you think Jesus is? To mince words and water down the faith, to, to cheapen the gospel, to modernize the cross? Do you actually love Jesus or do you love your idea of Jesus? Of the Jesus of your mind? You change the truth of God into a lie? And you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Hey, Romans 1, 18, 25 is also for professed Christians. You don't like what the Bible says. You may be born again saved, but you don't like some of the doctrine, some of the truths. You suppress the truth in unrighteousness, in your own unbelief and faithlessness and fearfulness. And you water down the faith. You water down the truth. You air condition hell. You water down sin. You modernize the cross to, to be more in line with the peers. You suppress the truth and unrighteousness and you change the truth of God into a lie. To live godly according to whose standard? Christianity according to whose gospel? The, the doctrines of truth according to what tradition? Not church tradition, but the traditions of Jesus Christ. The doctrines, the traditions that he handed down, that he wrote, that he keeps, that he holds, that he passed down, that he preserves into all generations of this gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the Apostle Paul, thus fully known my doctrine. The doctrine of the word of God, that the word of God is the final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith. Like the post I shared today that I saw one, one of my good friends shared um, on Instagram. I loved it so much. I shared it across all the our CCT platforms. It says, I'm not pro anything or anti anything. I am thus saith the Lord, period. I'm not pro anything, anti anything. I'm thus saith the Lord. Because the word of God is the final absolute authority in all aspects of faith, the practice of faith. Is it in your life? Is it actually? Oh, you may tout, you may say, you may show, you may you may shout and scream, sola scriptura. Are you really? Are you really? Are you really? 
You say you love God, do you really? Or do you love the God of your own imagination, the God that you fashioned and created to fit with your life, with your ideologies, to, to make you more comfortable, to fit with your personal narrative, with the context of your life, or your vanities, with your hobbies and interests, with your entertainment? Do you actually love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the idea of Jesus that lives only in the church building that you only have to pay tithes to on Sunday and not through the rest of the week? Do you love the word of God, you love the idea of the Word of God where you can pick and choose and cut and paste and create doctrines of your own narrative, or do you accept it from cover to cover? What is Christianity to you? Where do you fit in the story? Where are the holy men and women of God today? What is Christianity today? What is it to you? How should it be seen, known? Christianity today should be a literal cut and paste from the early church. It shouldn't change. Christianity should not change with the times. The times are wicked. The times are evil. The times are debaucherous. And, and what, what right does the world, what right does society, what right does the unsaved society have to control our faith, to tell us what to preach, how to preach, when to preach, what to do? What right do they have? Who do they think they are to, to dare come in and control the pulpit and control the congregation and control our faith? Who do they think they are? to tell us how that we should water it down, that we should self-censor, we should turn down the volume. Who do they think they are to tell us how we should actually go about it, that we should be bringing all kinds of other principles and, and catches and, and frivolities? Where are the times that we'd be with, that, well, all that, that, that we needed was the Word of God, and we would sit with just the Word of God, and study it, read it, believe it, go, teach it. We should be content with that. We could care less what each other looks like. We care what the Word of God says. We hold ourselves to the Word of God. The Word of God is our standard, not church tradition. The Word of God is our doctrine, not the catechisms, creeds, and commentaries. The Word of God is our law, our, our authority. What God says that I'm accepted by God is all that matters. That Jesus Christ saved me is all that matters. not about what fruits other people are seeing, but it's the fruits of God being seen through me. That's all that should matter. We're, we're, we're drunk with churchianity and religiosity. We're absolutely, hopelessly lost in the fears of men and the cares of other people. It's time that we break free. It's time that we choose us this day whom we will serve. It's time that we cast off everything else and just take the doctrines of the Word of God, just take the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God as all that we need for our manner of life, for our doctrine, for our purpose, our faith, our long-suffering, our charity, our patience to help us through persecutions and afflictions, whatever may come, that this is sufficient that I am unashamed. 
We love to wear the hats, the shirts, make the posts, and talk about how we're not ashamed, but we are the most ashamed generation of the church. We raise our hands and shout revival and, and shout the blessings of God when it's safe in the church. But the moment the sermon's all over and the door is open, we run and hide and scatter like cockroaches. The moment that, that the, the chieftains of the pagans come along, we cower and we kowtow to every whim of the world. We refuse to live godly. We hide godly. We won't live godly. Our greatest fear is persecutions. We run from the very idea of it to the point that we will compromise our very convictions so that we won't be persecuted. We've dropped the banner, dropped the torch. We've shamed the church. We've shamed Christ. We've shamed the early church. We've shamed the martyrs. We ought to be ashamed. We have to fall on our faces before the Lord and take a look and see, Lord, this is what you have for us. This is what you say. Who do I think I am? to change it who do you think i am to add to it subtract from it who do i think i am to say anything different than what that says on the pages this what it says in the book on the pages is what it means i apply it to my life and i go do it i live it i speak it i think it i do it who do i think i am to think that i'm excluded who do I think that I am that I don't need to go witness when it's an actual full-on commandment of Almighty God? Who do I think I am to, to, to define what I think is sin? Sin is what God says it is. All unrighteousness is sin, and if it's sin, I'm supposed to hate it. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity in the Lord, even thy God hath anointed thee the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Who do I think I am? What does the word of God say? But evil men, verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall work shall wax worse and worse. It's gonna get worse. You think it's bad now? You think the state of Christianity is bad now? Just wait. Just wait. That's why the word of God talks about them. When the Lord comes again, will he even find faith in the world? You think it's bad now? The next generation and the generations after that will be absolutely terrifying the state the state that the churches will be in but evil men and seducers seducing spirits and doctrines of devils seducers that that they know how to seduce you they're seductive they're the way they talk and portray to to entice in and draw in to draw in evil seducers will wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived what makes you think that you'll be able to protect yourself against it if you're if you're not studying and holding and living the word of god lucifer the anointed cherub deceived a third of the angels that stood in the very presence of god What makes you think that you're able to stand against him and guard yourself against his deceptions and lies when all you do is listen to the Bible 30 minutes on Sunday, maybe five minutes at prayer meeting, maybe a little bit more through the week if you're lucky, if you have time. 
and you think that that's sufficient to protect you against full-time devils, against the devil who deceived angels that stood in the very presence of God. That you could send your kids to church and all the, all the level of doctrine they get is coloring in a picture of Noah's Ark and that'll protect them against the lies and deceptions of the public school system. And you wonder why they're going pagan. Because Christianity today is a joke. When you abandon the word of God, you abandon doctrine, the depth of doctrine, the depth of study, as you see that's given by example in, in the word of God, we abandon that because we just don't have time for that. And you wonder why the church and the Christianity is in the state it's in. You wonder why the moment the kids get old enough and they go to college, go to university, they become atheists. Because the idea, what they were raised up in is that church is just sing the hymns, read the Bible, don't wear this, don't do 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 this, and don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And that somehow is Christianity. It's just all about rules. It's all about do and do not. That there's no depth of doctrine, no grace, no faith. The level of Christianity is churchianity, religiosity, Phariseeism, legalism. And you wonder why they become atheists and they go to college. Because the level of teaching and doctrine is gone. We care more about ourselves and the outward appearance. We, we are obsessed with judging after the outward appearance, judging the outward fruits, and we have no concept of inward fruits, no concept of spiritual fruits, but we think of spiritual fruits as actually outward physical fruits. That we tear each other apart. We're the only army in existence that shoots its wounded. And you wonder why the church is in the state it's in. Because we've been seduced by evil doctrines seduced by men's opinions seduced by the by the flesh by the world but uh, seduced by devils masquerading as angels of light and become uh, cause us to become obsessed with ourselves and we suppress the truth and unrighteousness and and woe unto any preacher that says anything about that Oh, he'll be raked over the coals. They're the people having roast preacher for dinner. This congregation will just abandon him because how dare he say something that makes me feel not good? How dare he point out sin in my life? How dare he put his finger on something that I'm obsessed with? How dare he actually preach doctrine? All I want to hear is the catechisms, the creeds, and commentaries, and men's opinions, and other books, and quotes by other people, and 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 man's ideologies. Uh, very little scripture. And if you're going to quote scripture, make sure it's the parts of the Bible I like. But evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but continue thou, but rather continue thou. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Which is what? Who is he talking to? Paul's talking to Timothy. He's talking about the doctrine. The doctrine of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of the word of God. The doctrines of scripture. Continue in doctrine. Continue in the word of God. The things which thou hast learned and been assured of. Which is what? The word of God. The Bible. Knowing of whom that thou hast learned them. 
which are able to make the wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, see context is scripture. All scripture, Genesis to Revelation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, meaning theonoustos, meaning God breathed, meaning almighty sovereign Lord God said it. From his mind, from his mouth, he said it. He said it to his holy holy servants and told them what to write. And they wrote it down. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Well, I don't know about that. Are you telling me all scripture? Because look at Genesis, it's six days. But but when you grab a rock and you put it in a microscope and you, you bang it around a little bit, it'll tell you that it's actually billions of years old you really telling me that the world is only x of x thousand years old and it's not millions because all the white coats say they make every excuse oh really a worldwide flood oh really the miracle jesus walked on water no it was just a it was just shallow water it was a rock shoal there and they make every excuse for every miracle every wonder everything the word of god they deny the majority of the old testament because well that's just not physically possible no duh that's why it's called supernatural miracle. They deny everything in the Bible because, well, it just, it's just not physically positive. Science says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable. All scripture is profitable because it was given by God and it's meant for, it's supposed to be used for, and it's supposed to be studied for, for doctrine. For doctrine. For teachings. For teaching in all things let's take a look at this for uh for doctrine for reproof a proof that by which a thing is proved or tested for reproof so we prove everything avoid that which is evil hold fast to that which is good how can you hold fat how do you know which is good then and that which is evil by the standard of the word of God, not by what you think. Well, well, I had a vision. I had a dream. I have a feeling. I just feel that I think becomes the doctrine of most churches, of most Christians. Scripture, the word of God, is supposed to be the sieve through which absolutely every single thing, doesn't matter what it is, where it came from, what's going on, it's just to go through the word of God. And if the word of God says it's wrong, teaches by what, by some way, shape, or form, or another, by illustration, teaching, or even principle, that the thing in of itself is wrong, then it's wrong. Stop making excuses for it. Stop trying to find loopholes and excuses and workarounds. If it's wrong, get rid of it. No if and what's or buts. Get rid of it. Reject it. If the person is not of God, shown to be a heretic, a liar, false prophet, whatever else, doesn't matter. Get rid of it. What are you doing with their stuff? Get rid of it. For reproof. For correction. For instruction. For instruction in righteousness. To know how to walk rightly with thy God. It's not based on what you think, what you feel. The SJW doctrines are garbage. The progressive liberal movement is nonsense. It's absolute mindless drivel. You want to know what righteousness is? You get your nose in the book. 
You study the word of God. For instruction in righteousness. For what purpose? Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. Now, I know that many of the modern minority text document Bibles, the more modern uh, translations have actually changed this, like they change everything else and they omit and change and subtract and twist and destroy the actual word of God. Uh, many of the modern Bible versions actually change verse 17. That, that they actually change to say that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. They take out something. They omit something. You know what they, they omit? The word perfect. The word perfect. That the man of God may be perfect. That in the actual majority text documents of the original manuscripts of the Greek and Hebrew, that in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, in the original Greek manuscripts, it says that the man of God may be perfect. That we are perfected. That we are made perfect because this is the perfect word of God handed down by God. As God is perfect, so is his word. That when we give ourselves to the word of God, it perfects us. It perfects us. It will never lead us astray. Never make a mistake. That we can bet our whole lives on the word of God. You can bet your life on the word of God. Your home life, work life, private life everything you can bet everything on the word of god it will guide you into all truth always and never lead you astray it'll never deceive you it'll never frustrate you it'll never confuse you it'll never destroy you it will never harm you that it is flawless it is perfect and it will perfect you when you give yourself to it you don't need anything else you don't need absolutely anything else you need this that the man of god may be perfect thoroughly furnished to all good works go over to second peter this is the brother passage of this one in second peter and we want chapter one we want verses 20 to 21 look what it says knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That the Spirit of Almighty God would come upon an individual and inspire them and tell them and show them and teach them what to say, what to write, and that God would take that and preserve it unto all generations. That's what this book is. This book is a supernatural book. That the hand of God is upon it, preserving it down through all generations doesn't matter if the world was to go on for a billion trillion years the word of god would remain the same oh sure there'll be people trying to corrupt it trying to destroy it trying to hinder it, trying to make mockeries of it trying to make do rewrites but the actual word of god will remain all down through because god said so and god cannot lie he cannot make a mistake and when God says something, he's going to do it. And there's literally nothing that can stop it. Who do we think we are to cheapen this? Who do we think we are that we don't need this as much as we do? Who do we think we are that we can ignore this? 
not apply this to think that with that i know what christianity is i'm going to go by my thinking i don't need to dedicate myself to the word of god i don't need to read it. i don't need to memorize it. i don't need to follow it. i can change it to fit the modify my lifestyle who do we think we are bunch of self-conceited self-righteous spoiled rotten brats of god refusing to do what the lord commanded am i wrong But as you see here, perilous times will come. Verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Perilous times will come. Yes, the world will have perilous times, but the application here as well is in the faith. Perils of the faith within the faith by christians on purpose is where we are and it's not even that we were seduced into it we willingly gave it up it wasn't torn from us we weren't tied down and tortured to deny we were in a state of abject despair. We're in the midst of the lap of luxury and vanity. We willingly gave it up. Denying the power thereof and retaining only the form of godliness. And this is what the world finds unbelievable and why the revivals have stopped. So what can we do? It reminds me of a saying years ago, my previous job, and when I first started in it, I started in uh, in security, a security guard, bodyguard, and and whatnot and uh, the chief of our department had a saying he said you're not allowed to complain about anything unless you have a solution on how to fix it, it always stuck with me and i've always sought to apply that because it was just the most excellent outlook in every way that even crosses over and, and it applies to the christian faith as well you're not allowed to complain about anything unless you have a solution to how to fix it. What's the solution? Let, let, let's, let's draw everything that I've said. Let's draw it all down here. We, we've, been, we've been shown, we've been told, we've been rebuked, exhorted, and edified, and all this stuff. Now, how can we take everything that we've heard here that's challenged us? How can, how can we find the solution how to fix this problem? Now, we can't fix all of Christianity. We can't fix the whole state of Christianity that is in today, but what we can fix is our personal involvement with it. And how would that be? If those if those professed Christians around you don't want to take faith seriously, they don't want to live for Christ, they don't want to uh, hold to doctrine, they don't want to expose sin, they don't want to walk with Christ as, to, as you're supposed to, they don't want to preach and teach like we're called to do, then you do. 
you do not have to have others walking with you for you to be able to walk with Christ. It's like some people are social eaters where what they, re- what they really like to do is to sit down with others and they're going to eat something they like to eat with other people. It's like the idea of, of a social uh, coffee drinker as you really enjoy having a coffee with other people that if the others aren't around you more than likely aren't going to have a coffee, aren't really going to eat. You'll be, you'll cheapen out your dinner or whatever else and you won't really have proper food. You, you only like to really eat or drink around others. Other people are very social in their behavior, social in their interactions. But what a lot of people have done is they've they've brought this into the faith as well. You'll only talk about Jesus Christ around other Christians. You'll only take the faith seriously. You only care about your spiritual health when you're around other Christians. You need to learn to be self-sufficient. You need to learn to be able to take care of yourself. It's like some people will only go to the gym, will only look after their health and fitness if they're nagged. Or if there's other people that will keep them excited, keep them encouraged to keep going. But if they're not around, they won't go. They won't go for the run. They won't do the thing. But a lot of Christians are like that with their faith. You only take the faith seriously if there's other other serious people around you. You need to learn to be self-sufficient. You need to learn to stand for the Lord by yourself. You need to learn to be able to take the word of God and prayer and fasting and the faith in all seriousness and absolute dedication yourself by yourself. You, you cannot devote yourself to intentions. Oh, I intend to. Oh, I want to. Oh, I plan to. Oh, no. Now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day. Now is the time. Now is the time appointed. Choose this day whom you will serve. Yourself, your flesh, the world, and peer pressure, or the faith. You take the faith seriously. You say, you say well, well, I haven't been and I don't know what to do. Repent and get yourself right. Make the crooked way straight. Take it seriously now. Now is the time. You guys look at it this way. The Lord, the Lord appears in the clouds and we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And we're standing before the Lord. Will you have any regrets? And you'd be like, oh, I was all planning to be able to do this and to lead people to the Lord, handle tracks and do this and live for the Lord and witness to my neighbor, witness to my friends. And now you can't. Rather plan that. When the Lord comes, you won't have any regrets. You've done everything you can. You live your life like the Lord is coming tomorrow. You live your life like the Lord is coming tomorrow. Like what if you found out you only had a week left to live? A week left to live. How seriously would you live for the faith? Well, why aren't you living like that now? What excuse do you have? Well, I got many years. Do you really? Life's uncertain. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. You look at a tombstone. You got the birth date, the death date, the dash in between. 
You have no idea when you're going to die. And everybody's dash is the same. Nobody expected to die. We have no idea when our time is coming and it's going to catch us off guard. That's why they're called accidents, not on purposes. Give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord. What excuse could you possibly give God that would excuse you from taking the faith seriously? You see the examples that the Apostle Paul has left us? What's your excuse? You know, Paul wrote this letter to you as well. Not just to Timothy, he wrote this to you. This is written from the mouth of God to all saints. That's why it's written in the word of God, because it's meant to all saints. This is meant for you too. God is talking directly to you. He's trying to get you to smarten up, take the faith seriously, to watch yourself, to uh, to reprove yourself, to exhort yourself in the faith. God wants you to take the faith seriously. He wants you to dedicate yourself so He can use you for His kingdom. Because you stand before the Lord, He's gonna and He's gonna ask you. He's gonna investigate, see how you've cared for your master's business. Do you really want to stand before the Lord ashamed? Do you really want to stand before the Lord? And he says, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you talk to them? Why didn't you talk to them? I gave you everything. I showed you, I gave you my word. I, I even worked it out in such a way so you even had a bundle of gospel tracts. You didn't have to say it. You could have just given them a track. Why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you do anything? You had your whole life, years, you could have done something. Why didn't you? You didn't even tell your neighbor. You didn't tell your coworkers. You, you hardly live for me. Uh, people around, they didn't even know you were a Christian. Think about it. Think about it. Look at the early church. Look at the early church. The fervency, the dedication, the love, the charity, that the absolute zealousness of faith that they had. What excuse do you have? Say, well, I can't really do much. That doesn't mean you can't do anything. Do you have two hands? Do you have two feet? Do you have a heartbeat? Do you have a tongue? Do you have a mouth? You even have a little magic box that connects you to the whole world. You don't even have to leave your home. And you can reach the world. Do you? Or do you make it about you? Do you make your social media about you? About society's idiocy? About the crimes in the government that everybody knows about anyways and is pointless to why we keep going on about it? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The faith. Now it's known my faith. My doctrine. I.E. Depth of Christianity. The depth. The depth. Where is the depth of your faith? Think about it. There you go. Something to think about. So I hope this this has been something to, to wake you up, to snap you in. Because look, this is what this is what God says. This is not my words. This is what the Lord said. It's what the Lord said. So give this some thought. Is this something we should take seriously?
Is this something that we, we should seek to critique ourselves, to hold ourselves accountable to? Is this something really worthy to take seriously? Is this meant for today? And if so, why don't we listen? Something to think about. There you go. So with that, I hope this has been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. I hope this has given you something to think about. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content. And as well, please make sure to check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our other platforms and goodies. And uh, if you are wanting to learn how to take the faith seriously, and you want to know, okay, where where can where can we start? What's some what's some of the first things that we could do to get ourselves in that state to to of the drive and the desire to be able to overcome the lust of the flesh first? You know, I was talking with a good friend of mine um, about this on where to start. What's what's the first thing you should do? Say, so, well, you know, one of the top primary doctrines commands and instructions by god in the word of god one of the highest instructions by god himself throughout the word of god is fasting right now you heard that nearly every excuse just went through your mind to almost a full-on yeah, well, kind kind of attitude, thought, string, thought that went through your mind. What else? Is there anything else? Kind of idea. You just you just heard that. You just felt that. Fasting is of such a high calling, a high instruction by God, because it, it is one of the top primary means in, with which we subdue the flesh, the flesh and the affections and lust thereof. That gets us on the right track with the Lord. We make every excuse in the world to not fast. Every excuse. Oh, blood, for my blood sugar to everything else. Do you really not think that the Lord is going to help you with it if you give yourself to it? You think the Lord is just going to abandon you, just let you go? You think it's all just about you? It's a spiritual thing. It's spiritual that the Lord will help you, will strengthen you, will give you the ability and the strength to do it. I challenge you try to do a three-day fast I'm telling you you'll come out the other end so completely different different outlook a different insight your prayer life your devotional life everything will be so different because you've learned how to subdue the flesh because it will fight you tooth and nail the whole way you dedicate yourself to to try to do a three-day fast i'm telling you it'll change you and then from that point forward give yourself to to uh, to a regular regular intervals of prayer and fasting they didn't they did all throughout the old testament they did throughout the new testament fasting is one one of the uh, most important doctrines the word of god that is fast been cast away the vast majority of christians are more obsessed with stuffing their faces at every opportunity fasting is almost never taught 
but it's one of one of the primary doctrines you see all down through the word of god why is fasting forgotten a long forgotten doctrine to even the point where jesus even said that some devils that these devils cannot be cast out except through prayer and fasting and guess what they've done in some of the modern bibles they've even taken that passage that verse that jesus said some of these come not up every prayer and fasting they've removed and fasting out of the bible so some bibles don't even teach you how to overcome some devils what addictions problems struggles are you having that may very well be spiritual opposition and you just can't for the life of you figure out how to overcome it that's because you're not giving yourself to prayer and fasting that's what jesus god in the flesh said and we won't listen we won't listen we can hardly go one meal without becoming absolutely obsessed we're addicted we're hopelessly addicted to eating gluttony stuffing our faces the Lord calls us to a life of holiness and righteous living and prayer and fasting and devotion and discipleship. And we make every excuse. And we wonder why the church is in the state it's in. Because the saints will hardly give themselves to prayer and fasting for revival, for victory, for conquering of sin and temptations, casting out of devils, uh, for the spread of the gospel, for bringing ourselves closer to the Lord. We will hardly dedicate ourselves as the Lord has called us to. And we wonder why the church is in the state it's in something to think about i challenge you three-day fast i challenge you watch what happens what it does to your faith what it does to your bothering what it does to your prayer life what it does to your witness yet yeah, to everything else how the insight you will have on righteousness and unrighteousness and how much closer it brings you to the lord i challenge you what excuse well what about my job what about this what about this that's your flesh talking that's your flesh talking. Your flesh is stronger than your faith. Your flesh is stronger than your spirit. You're going to listen to your flesh. You're going to listen to the devils and the world and everything else. God says. God says. You, you plan on standing for the Lord and battling against the enemy and preaching the gospel, but you can't even fast for a day. What about turn the tables? What about dedicate yourself? Determine yourself determine yourself before the lord i'm going to overcome the flesh i'm going to overcome these things that every excuse that comes in i'm going to rebuke it and cast it out and i'm going to dedicate myself to the lord i challenge you you want you want revivals to spread starting in your life your family your home and those around you want revivals to start you want the faith to, to grow you want you want to tick off the enemy take the faith seriously you watch it happens but at the same time, I'm telling you that when you give yourself to this, when you give yourself to prayer and fasting, I'm telling you from first-hand experience, tons of times, and from multiple other people who can profess this, that when you give yourself to this, all hell will break loose. The gates of hell will open up and the devils will come at you in every angle. From from family, friends, co-workers, home life, private life, everything will just suddenly just go up in flames. Everything will go crazy to try to stop you, hinder you, kill your joy, kill your faith, stop your walk, get you to drop drop prayer, to, to, to throw you into depression because everything seems to be going wrong. And it will all be traced back to the moment you, you put yourself in a state of prayer and fasting. You want to see 
actual evidence manifestation of the power of the enemy of the reality of the paranormal the supernatural give yourself to prayer and fasting because it's what god commanded us to do instructed us to do it's what the word of god demonstrates shows us teaches us in doctrine prayer and fasting the enemy knows that this is something that is so powerful that brings you so close to the lord they're going to try to stop you at every turn be mindful be mindful dedicate yourself determine yourself determine in yourself to hold the line dedicate yourself to, to the faith dedicate yourself to the word of god dedicate yourself to prayer and fasting taking the faith seriously watch what happens watch what happens thou hast known my doctrine paul fasted regularly he prayed and fasted regularly i just finished watching a great a great great old uh christian film highly recommend it we have it uh, in our uh, our youtube uh, youtube playlist here on our channel uh, uh christian films christian movies i think it's called christian videos uh it's, it's an old film called Sheffy. one of my absolute favorite old christian films it is excellent it's about an old uh circuit preacher he would travel around in a huge circuit back in the, the olden days and preach at tons of churches. Powerful man of faith and prayer. Sheffy was known to pray for hours at a time. This is one of the things why he was so successful in the faith in preaching and witnessing. He led countless thousands of people to the Lord. Now, if you look back in time, at the individuals who had such notable successful ministries spurgeon moody taylor tozer hudson taylor all the eugenia price amy carmichael all the way down through all the mighty men and women of god had such impact on the world bringing people to the lord and building the faith and encouraging saints you look at their prayer and fasting life look at their prayer and fasting life you see that today where is the depth of prayer and fasting today prayer is more like today is like taking a stone and skipping it across the surface and there's no plunging into the depths our prayers last maybe a couple minutes but you look at the mighty men and women of god you look at the prophets look at the apostles they would pray for hours say well i i can't really pray for hours that's your flesh talking you know it, it prayer isn't just a fold your hands bow your head close your eyes and you stay in this state for hours prayer is a continual pray without ceasing it's a continual constant non-stop direct communication with god actively throughout the day all day while you are awake in conscience uh, conscious you are talking with the lord communing communing with the lord the lord is on your thoughts on your mind in your heart in everything that you do where is that today we love to do things by ourselves without god what about turning that around prayer and fasting will do that you'll notice that that in a in a fasting and prayerful state you will find that Christ mindfulness will become a non-stop constant. Because the act of prayer and fasting 
shuts the flesh down and raises the power of spirit and mindfulness of the Lord that you will hardly be able to do anything without being mindful of the Lord. That's what it's for and that's what it does. And I'm telling you, it will change you. It will change you to your core when you take the faith seriously. The fullness of the faith and the power of the faith in prayer and fasting and dedication to the Lord. That's how you turn things around. So there you go. So my challenge, dedicate yourself to a three-day fast. Three-day prayer and fasting. Watch what happens. The Lord will be with you. You will find you can function. You will find that your flesh was lying. 